This podcast with pianist Sabine Vieira is a long time coming. It was recorded at the beginning of the UK's third lockdown, thereabouts, with me in London, as you would expect, and Sabine in Luxembourg. Sabine had released a new album pairing the music of two composers I hadn't heard of before. Nikolai Myaskovsky, born in 1881 in Russia, and Nicolas Bakri, born in 1961 in France. Listening back to this exchange nearly five months on, yes, it's been that long, I'm reminded of how the music of these unfamiliar creatives struck me as immediate and relevant. Myaskovsky has in Sonata No. 2 an awkward melodic line that I find reassuring. He also has a compelling narrative arc. He writes in that first movement a series of short descriptive episodes which lead me, just like any good binge-worthy drama series, inexorably onto the next episode. Before you know what's happened, more minutes have passed and you realise such efficient writing was discernible on a first listen. I referenced that too during the interview. Now, five months later, when I listen to the music again, that sense of efficiency is what really comes to the fore. There is something compelling and fascinating about this composer I had until earlier this year no idea about. Why pair Myaskovsky's music with that of Nicolas Bakri? It's a hard sell, isn't it? How Bakri comes to be on the album is, like all good narrative structures, a reflection of how pianist Sabine Vaillère came to be introduced to Myaskovsky's music in the first place. In that, the pianist has been biographical in her curation. It was playing Nicolas Bakri's music that Vaillère came to be introduced to the composer who had inspired Bakri in the first place. And now Sabine Vaillère is introducing me to that music for the first time. I'm a sucker for ancestral storytelling. Mieskowski that I heard first and actually my impressions of that were that it's incredibly dark and it's full of not in a bad way but but there's a lot of peril there and there's a lot of um angst and pain uh yes. that's my first impression is that how you came to it Absolutely. first that's the essence of this composer and the essence of the two piano sonatas that I recorded but I would say the essence of the whole work of the composer in general. Where do you think that comes from? Um, I think that comes from the times in which he was living in and what was happening in his country while he was composing that. Um, it was, of course, a First World War, then Russian Revolution, 1921, and then uh, Communism, Zdanov, Stalin, uh, all of that. And I think he was just... Uh, uh, in a very bad um, position as a composer because he could uh, partly not express what he wanted to, to write because it was forbidden under socialist um, realism. And on the other hand, he was uh, probably as a person very... 
uh, had a lot, um, I don't know the English word for that. The, it was not a calm person. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Um, I, I think that, uh, hearing that, that makes me think that actually his writing was very honest and it was sort of very much, you yes, know, his heart I was think. on his sleeve and, and yes. uh, almost confessional. I think it is, yes. And something very interesting, what I was uh, finding very interesting about him was that his father, uh, actually, he at first wanted to become a musician when he was a child, and his father for, forbid him, forbade him to, to become a musician and said that he should uh, enroll in the army. So he was being a front officer for quite a long time until he was 20 or 21, something like that. And um, he knew that his inner nature, his deep nature was to become a musician. So he was not really um, feeling well about what he did until his 20s. And um, his father always told him that the only kind of uh, victory that is a real victory in life is the one that you can do over yourself. So not the victory that you can feel when you go to war or when you win something or whatever, but the victory over your inner demons, uh, over what is against you. And um, he, I think he made that sentence very, per that, that was appealing very, very well to him, very much to him, because uh, his uh, piano works and his work in general somehow reflects this, that he is trying to find out who he is himself and trying to, to always battle against himself and, uh, and find his personality in this way, it's a music that's on on in some way very introvert. Al although it's very virtuosic and outbursting and whatever you you can put as words on that, but I think it's really like a therapy for him to find who he is himself. And he always had this sentence of his father in his mind uh, because that was one of the last sentences that his father told him before dying because he was shot by uh, an officer during the war and uh, in, in a station somewhere. And that was, of course, very painful for Miaskowski. And he, he made this sentence by his father as his uh, credo for, for his entire life. Did, did the father know that he was going, this seems like a piffling detail on my no, part, but did the murdered. father know he was, he was going to be shot? Yeah, he was murdered in 1918, like uh, abruptly, he didn't know that he was going to die and, mm. and that was it. And then the son, Miaskowski, was all of a sudden alone and he decided, okay, now that's the moment I will uh, now become a composer and uh, get away from this world of the army and the war and whatever didn't really interest him.
for you actually that that confessional element to his music or that 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 pain in his music is is linked to to a certain extent to the death of his father and the message that his father gave definitely also to that i think probably not only i i think that it always reflects also the political situation of his country the economic situation whatever or the general um situation that was surrounding him but of course on a personal level i think that the death of his father was uh, playing a big role as well i hear it as um you know in the in the extracts that i've heard i hear i hear originality that will seem like a really weird thing to say but i'm always uh, i'm always yes, drawn but... by those composers who who um I haven't heard of before and I suppose I make an assumption in my head that the reason I haven't heard of them before was because a they weren't very good or b they weren't very original uh, and yet actually I hear it and think that's that's really distinctive given the time that he was writing yes at the same time so, I hear bits of Chopin as well but I, I can answer a few things to that first is that if we don't know him much more than what we do now is because himself and his family after his death didn't want his music to uh, leave Russia, to leave the URSS, because they were thinking that if it would leave Russia, that would mean it would be like treason, because then the music would go to a capitalistic country, and they wanted it to stay in Russia in communism. So Mieskowski himself and all his uh, children and uh, family uh, really for were forbidding to, uh, for example, there was an editor in, Fran in France, Le Chant du Monde, who wanted to buy the rights, who wanted to edit his music, and the family was saying, no, it has to stay in Russia, we don't want. So if they wouldn't have said that, I think Jaskowski would be much more known nowadays here, because it took like forever, 50 years or something, until the music was first edited in, in France. That was just because they they didn't want it to to happen that way. Why the why the shift then? How, how did that how did that change come about? I think they they were seeing over time that at some point it didn't make sense anymore to forbid it because people were insisting and uh, probably the mentality somehow changed with time and the family was thinking okay now let's let's uh, release a little bit this. Uh, <laughs> The, the strict position and, and relax a little bit and, and accept it for for the sake of Mieskowski's music, of course, because if no one knows about it, it cannot be played and it doesn't, yeah. it will yeah. die. So I think that they just uh, ended up being a little bit more reasonable about that. Uh, I hear Tchaikovsky and actually the programme notes refer to the influence of Tchaikovsky's music on Mieskowski. Uh, but like I said earlier, I hear, I think I hear bits of Chopin as well. Um, yes. at the ends of Definitely. phrases. So that was actually the second point that I wanted to mention, apart the fact that the music didn't uh, really leave Russia. What you said before, that it's or not original enough to, to be known or not good enough. Actually, both are, are not true because it's original and it's very good. Why is it original? Because it's um, actually very much... Um, rooted into Chopin as pianistic tradition, into Scriabin, mm -hmm. uh, into the late Scriabin sonatas, and also Tchaikovskian influences in the romantic way of writing long melodies and uh, tonality in the first uh, works, of course. 
for example, the first uh, cello sonata, cello and piano, is Opus 12. It's very, very romantic. It could have been written by Chopin, for, for instance. It's very, very romantic. And then the next work he writes, Opus 13, that's the second piano sonata, the first one on my album, is a completely different language already. So the originality actually is in the fact that he goes from the tradition that he was inherited from, from Chopin and from Scriabin, and he expands it in a, in a very amazing way with enlarged tonality, with a way of developing the traditional uh, sonata form that is quite original because he um, actually compresses the, the traditional sonata, the four, three or four movements that you have in a traditional sonata, he makes just one movement out of it. But in the one movement, the motives uh, are presented at the beginning, like the two main themes, and then everything that is in the sonata is emerging from those two small motives. So it's quite tricky to, to write in that way. And he does it It's concise. Very well. so it's it's really concise. Have, Yes, so there are a lot of qualities in the technique of writing and a lot of qualities and the originalities in uh, the language, in the aesthetics, in the harmony. So we definitely cannot say that he was not good enough mm. to be exported or not original enough or whatever. did you come to Mierskowski in the first place? Um, actually, I knew some of the symphonies because I just heard them somehow on the radio or whatever. And um, when I started to learn the sonatas by Bakri, um, I, I somehow at some point wanted to play them for him because he was living not so far from me uh, in Belgium. 
I went to play for him and to study them a little bit with him. And he told me about a composer, Russian composer, Miaskovsky, that he was very fond of. And somehow that rang a bell to me. And I said, oh, I know some of the symphonies, but I really don't know that he also wrote for piano. And then he said, you should listen to the third sonata, because my third sonata, so Bakri's sonata number three, is actually in, written in memory of this third Miaskovsky sonata. So listen to that. And if you like my sonata, I think you should also like the Miaskovsky one. I hadn't, I hadn't anticipated that actually it was it was the more the more recent composer Bakri uh, yeah. who who introduced it, which makes it actually almost like uh, I may be I may be making a lot of this up, but it almost makes it feel as though you're honouring uh, uh, Bakri by playing Miaskovsky's music. Yes, somehow you can say that. Yes, I am honouring the idea actually that he gave to me because uh, I think without him having said that to me, I would probably not have had the idea of recording Miaskowski's piano sonatas because I just didn't know them. After this conversation, I, I went home and I listened to the Miaskowski sonatas, and I was really impressed by the um, what I said before by this compact, compact stru structure, by the way it's composed, which is really amazing, and also by inside the work of one composer by the huge evolution that he is doing, going from the very romantic writing at the very beginning to something in between, like you can feel the influence still of romanticism, but already becoming very personal. And then to, in the third piano sonata, for example, something very expressionistic, almost atonal, almost, uh, yeah, at the border of what you can do with tonality. And so it's inside a very short lapse of time, a huge evolution. And I was thinking, wow, that's really a personality. It's only someone very, very inspired and, and very good can do that. Yes. <laughs> so it was really fascinating. For and me. very, uh, and and I wonder whether uh, whether also very aware of themselves, and and a certain yes, amount of self belief definitely. actually to be able yes. to go on that journey. Of course, and very aware also of what was happening probably around them, uh, what others did, what were. The, uh, Miaskowski was very much into arts in general, so he was aware of what was happening in in uh, paintings, in, in architecture, I guess, uh, in, in everything. So he was very connected in the cultural life. So 
I think that um, he was also influenced by, by other uh, streamings. I've listened to uh, part of Sonata Number no. Two, Opus One Hundred and Five, um, and if Mierskowski was dark, um, I think Bakri is even darker, uh, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and, and actually is, but but seems to sort of uh, create this world, which possibly because of the moment in time that we're we're all in, especially in the UK today. I don't know what the situation is like in Luxembourg today, yeah. but it's the first day of uh, another lockdown. Uh, and there is, I mean, I hear terror in Bakri's writing. Yeah, definitely, yes. Although this sonata was written in... Uh, 2007 so there was no lockdown no no indeed no <laughs> no which, which, <laughs> which immediately <laughs> makes me wonder what on earth was going on in his life yes they are very up to date still no but uh his uh, music in general is quite um dark as you say and uh, uh pathetic and very profound very deep but uh what is important to him is not to be dark but to be honest in his uh, expression meaning that he wants to write music being a contemporary composer it's maybe uh, difficult because the tendency today is to to be atonal to be uh, white serial music um, everything that in the 50s was under the avant-garde was institutionalized in the with the avant-garde so he's going against all of that and he wants to write again music that uh, speaks to the heart of the listener that is evoking uh, uh, feelings that is uh, letting people be emotional so either on the dark side dark emotions or on joyful or whatever but it's it's very human this music and it wants really to be close to, to, to the emotions that one can have, or the human emotions. So I'll ask the same question again about Bakary. How did you come to his music? How were you introduced to him? Um, that was actually because he somehow reached out and he sent me a message and said, oh, I listened to one of your previous CDs. I like very much the way you are uh, playing. Uh, do you know my music? Do you know my piano music? <laughs> and <I was> like, <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, is that how it was? Yes, that's how wow. it was. And, and I was saying, I know your name, but I don't know your piano music. What did, because you, I heard... what did you think when, I mean, the way you tell the story, obviously that triggers all sorts of assumptions in me, which I won't share with you until you've responded to this question. But um, what did you, you know, when you received that message, what, what were your initial reactions to that? Actually, to be honest, I receive that kind of messages like 100 a day. Oh, oh okay, right. Fun. Composers <laughs> see that a lot because they need to get known. So they just send to whoever. <laughs> no, it was something I'm really used to. So in general, I don't even answer to those emails because they are all the same. And in general, it's not very good what I receive. But of course, I knew his name already from before, even I if I couldn't really associate it to some specific works or whatever, but I, I knew his, his name. So I was interested, of course, and then I went to listen and he shared some piano pieces with me, I mean, the scores, so I, I could have a look. 
And definitely when I opened the second piano sonata, I was like, wow, okay, this is something different. It's not like what I get usually. <laughs> so then I started to <laughs> then I started to 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 go to the piano and to try to, to play it. And uh I was really surprised by the difficulty. It's it's tremendously difficult that piece. And that also somehow challenged me because I was getting more and more interested in being able to play it because it's it's uh, yeah, it was really a challenge. And then, uh, of course, we were discussing ab about it all the time. I was telling him that I was learning it, and he said, "Okay, when you feel ready, you can come to play it to me, and I will tell you maybe some yeah, some advices, some suggestions." And that's how it it went. So I I went to his place and I played for him. And I have to say, in the first maybe months or weeks. Uh, he was happy with what I did, but I could feel that it was really just the technical aspect that the music still didn't really flow, didn't really, it, it was not mature yet. So uh, it took some time to really get into that. It was not easy at all and not uh, spontaneous. And um, and then I started in parallel to also read the Miaskowski sonatas because I had meanwhile that idea to combine both composers on, on the CD. And I think that also working on those Miaskowski sonatas because they are also tremendously difficult and, and, and virtuosic also somehow helped me to better understand what is going on in the Bakri sonatas. So the two are like complementary. To what, to what extent did Bakri help you with the with establishing uh, your mastery of his works? Uh, well, first of all, because uh, he, being the composer, is the best person to to consult, to know how to play the music. So I, of course, had an idea about it, but it might not always have, have been as he wants it to, to be. So although he, he let me very, very free, I mean, he did never tell me, you should play like this, or, but he could give some deeper insight and uh, especially in uh, what is uh, as far as the tension and the, the general um, construction of the piece is concerned. I, at the beginning I had a rather separated view on each part of the piece and I tried to build up something that was making sense and he helped me to see really the big arc going from the first part to the last one and explained a little bit also about the composing uh the, the composition uh, how to say <laughs> the process how he composed uh, how how he arranged the themes how how that works and that helped to clarify what what i wanted to do and um and i think also at the beginning i was very busy with the notes and with learning everything and trying to sort it out and I might have not been careful enough to the the deep expression of it, to being really deeply into into what I was I was playing because I was just busy technically, and that's yeah. normal. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, of course, that requires a, a lot of time to to get over that uh, phase in in, a, in the learning process, and that might become easier if you have the composer at your side mm. who, who can tell you his view on it. And, so, so you're, you're, you're somebody who uh, obviously responds to challenge. You're someone who seeks challenge yeah. out. That's, I mean, I think that's what I'm getting from 
your references to the technical challenge of the music, both in Bakri and uh, Miaskowski. Do you notice how effortlessly I just now pronounce his name? It's just like, this is, this <laughs> is really straightforward now. I've got this nailed. Um, uh, what did what surprised you about the process? You know, what did you learn about yourself? What 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 emerged <laughs> as a result of this? Yeah, what you were saying before that I am someone who likes uh, challenges is actually new to me. <laughs> because I uh, recorded already four CDs before this one, and it was almost always music that was exactly the opposite of what I did now, i.e. calm, colorful, like Rameau, like Debussy, you know, not that kind of extrovert, very virtuosic, very difficult, dark stuff. I was rather into the opposite. <laughs> and that is who I was until then, actually. I was quite a shy person, very introvert, trying to, to loving to make refined sounds, colors, searching for hours. And so my first CDs, especially the very first one, Rameau and Debussy, was really very much on that, uh, in that direction. And somehow I was fed up with being that person. <laughs> and I wanted to, to show also that I have this other side in me and that I can also be very outbursting and, and with a lot of energy and because it's difficult nowadays if you start a, a career as a musician uh, people very fast put you into some uh, yes. yeah. box they, they, they define you mm. and I, I didn't want that because okay Ramon Debussy is defining me yes but I'm not only that mm. person so I wanted to show now with the CD also, because it's again a solo CD before I was doing orchestra stuff, so it's different. But this solo CD had to show that I can also handle it the other way. And um, that's why also I choose this extremely difficult program to, to somehow show to, to the audience and also to myself that I'm able to do it. So yes, I like uh, challenges, but it's not what defines me most as a person. But in that case, here it it was really important. Yes, uh, when, when you look on it, um, what I think this is actually probably a really mean question, so I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, what do you what do you look on with most pride uh, when you reflect on this project? You mean on the last one on Miaskowski? Yeah. But... yeah. Um, I would say that it's not the mastering of the technical aspects because somehow I knew that I would master them, although it was difficult, but I, I felt that it was not above my, my possibilities. But what was above my possibilities, what I was thinking at the beginning would be above my possibilities, was to find in myself the deep, the depths uh, of expression that I would need and the mature, maturity that I would need to face those sonatas uh, because they are, they are emotionally so gripping and so strong that at the very beginning of the process I wasn't sure that I would manage to get that out of them, to put this intensity into them. And of course, at the beginning, I, I didn't manage. I mean, <laughs> there were some points at the, in the first weeks and months where I was thinking, like, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster. I will never record this. But, yeah, it's the kind of project I like. <laughs> yes. 
But I mean, I have to be honest about how it was. Yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. like that. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. I, I like those kind of projects. <laughs> it was not smooth. <laughs> no, good. <laughs> uh, but then, in fact, at some point, I, I had this breakthrough where I realized that somehow I think that I realized it playing other pieces, different stuff. I realized that I have had gotten some maturity and some uh, um, technical qualities, but also musical qualities that I didn't have before. And I was wondering, hmm, how, where does that come from all of a sudden? And I understood that having played those Jaskowski sonatas and also the Bakri uh, made me feel like I could play almost everything after that. Uh, it developed your sort of sense of resilience. Yes, yes, exactly. So I, I was... Yeah, a different pianist after that. It was really a life-changing experience. That's lovely. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to uh, tell me that I haven't asked you? Uh, no, not really. You have asked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliant. Well, um... no, It's nice. I like talking about this project.